Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are on the Anarchist World this week. Another week, another billion dollars, maybe two billion. If you know what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. It's direct democracy. P- people involved in decision make those decisions and elect or appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional and national level. That's if it's required to go to the national level. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. So if you're looking for excitement, you want to bomb people, you want to behead people, don't listen to the anarchist world this week. This is about grunt work, street work. It's about trying to convince people that they need to act and organise in order to change their situation. They can no longer rely on government of the day, you know, their local church, whatever they rely on, they need to organise. And that's what this program is about. And if you're not interested in that, well, there are plenty of programs and you could actually walk out into the rain or the sunshine and enjoy yourself. Now, before we get the, get stuck into the program proper, my name's Joseph Scone, I'm hosting today's program. And I'd like to welcome all those listeners across Australia and via the community a radio network in community radio stations in every state of this continent. Now, for those of you, and I know it's boring that I've mentioned Melbourne so many times, but unfortunately that's where I'm based. For those of you uh, who are based in Melbourne, just to remind you, there's a memorial gathering has been organised for Wednesday the 28th of October outside the ACCC office at 360 Elizabeth Street, Melbourne, at midday sharp, Wednesday the 28th of October, for a member of the Wednesday Action Group who died unexpectedly a few weeks ago, Valerie Park. So if you're in Melbourne town and, uh, you know, Mr Mike Doran will be giving uh, the eulogy and then the uh, and then we'll... You know, people will be invited to uh, share their recollections regarding Valerie Park, or Val, as she was known, to a lot of people. And we decided we'd hold the memorial gathering on the street. That's because that's where most people were familiar with Val, on the street, during the Wednesday Action Group actions around 
city around the uh, Melbourne CBD since 1999, Wednesday Action Group. You know, if you want to learn more about them, go to their Facebook page, Wednesday Action Group. Just put Wednesday Action Group and bingo, up it comes. All right. Now, also, this is for everybody in Australia. You know, you've got a bit of travelling. On, I'd just like to make some changes. And I have been advertising or talking about the uh, Francesco Fantine uh, gathering and picnic that we usually have on the first Sunday nearest to Armistice Day. Well, unfortunately, this year the uh, it's been changed. And if you wish to join us at Murchison Cemetery on the 10 a.m., it's on Sunday, the 1st of November. That new date is now Sunday, the 1st of November. Now, Francesca Fantine was an anarchist who was killed at Camp Loveday in 1942. He was an internee. He was an anarchist activist who all his life fought against the fascists who was actually interned with fascists during the Second World War as an enemy alien when obviously he was had a long history of fighting fascists in this country for over 20 years and he was murdered at Camp Lovedown. Now, a few years ago, uh, thanks to a lot of uh, research that was done by Dr Venturini, George Venturini, we discovered that Francesco Fantine's bones lie in an ossuary at Murchison Cemetery, and it's quite an interesting idea. Now, the people of uh, around Murchison in the 50s and 60s uh, raised money to bring back the bodies of all internees, all Italian internees, whether they were uh, and uh, soldiers who had died in Australia during the war into one central location, that was the Murchison Ossuary. And once a year, uh, the Ossuary is uh, opened, and for the last few years we've been going down there to pay our respects to Francesco Fantine. Now, you need to remember uh, this is a a combination of many people who come from around Australia to pay uh, respect their dead. Now, it's usually, uh, there's usually a Catholic Mass first. So if you want to be part of the Catholic Mass, get there at about 11am. But we usually get there at about 10am at the end of the Catholic Mass because we like to go into the uh, ossuary to pay our respects. Francesca Fantine, uh, like all the other 250-plus people in the ossuary, have their own resting place. We like to get there early so we can pay our respects to uh, Francesco. I mean, then there's a, there's, a, there's a Catholic Mass, which is organised by the Italian Communion. After that, after that's finished, uh, and uh, you know the usual stuff goes on, we will then uh, have a small gathering there to remember Francesco, say a few words about him, and then we uh, move on to the uh, riverbank at Murchison for a, an afternoon picnic. So if you're coming, you can either get there about 10 a.m. if you want to go into the ossuary and pay respects, Murchison Cemetery, Willoughby Street in Murchison. You can't miss it. If you want further information, you can actually access uh, our website, q7461fantine.org, q7461fantine.org. You can ring me on 0439 395 489 and leave a message. Obviously, uh, we're not organising transport, so you've got to make your own way there. 
uh, you know. And I just like to say a few words. Uh, maybe next week as we get closer to the day. But I think the important thing is we usually have over a dozen people turn up, and it'd be good to see a bigger crowd this year. But it's Sunday, the first of November. That's Sunday, the first of November. Sunday week at ten a.m. Murchison Cemetery. This is, uh, I think, something that uh, a lot of people could make the time to attend. And don't forget, don't forget, uh, Eureka celebrations for all and sundry. Four a.m. to ten p.m. on uh, Thursday, the third of December. And what we celebrate is the core principles of Eureka, direct action, direct democracy, solidarity, internationalism, concepts that all radical activists uh, support. Well, many radical activists support, I won't say. You know, egalitarian radical activists support. And these are the principles that we uh, celebrate. And since 2002, we've been holding uh, uh, celebrations in multiple places around Ballarat which are historically significant from 4am to 10pm uh, uh, and if you want to f- find out more about this you can go to the website anarchistmedia.org anarchistmedia.org if you've got a, a website and you want more information you can write to us at post office box 20 Parkville 3052 we'll send you out information the important thing is come along it's a great day you don't have to come to all the events there are but uh, turn up at 4am at Eureka Park at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street in Ballarat. And this year, as in previous year, the 4am to 6am component of the uh, Eureka gatherings will be uh, broadcast on community radio station 3CR in Melbourne and they will be uh, on the web, 3cr.org.au live. So this is one day we need to reclaim as our own. We need to reclaim that radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Obviously, people don't listen to the program to listen to ads. But uh, I think I think the important thing is that uh, we understand that uh, things are changing. A few weeks ago, everybody thought that the Liberal Party was finished. Tony Abbott, the man of the moment fought tooth and nail to ensure he remained Prime Minister of the Land of Oz. And everybody was happy, weren't they? Well, unfortunately for Tony and the Australian people, he was deposed by Mr Malcolm Turnbull, who is having a real honeymoon. And I'll tell you why he's having a honeymoon. It's very simple. See, you know, Australian politics is interesting. Because you break it up into two components. You've got social reforms and you've got economic reforms. And currently, as far as Australian politics is concerned, as far as the, you know, those who matter are concerned, those who set the political, social and cultural agenda on a daily basis are concerned, is social reform is acceptable, necessary. So when the Liberal Party leadership was transferred from Mr Abbott to Mr uh, Turnbull, we had a change in style. And that's the key, a change in style. The present was wrapped up in really pretty paper, 
really nice paper. And that's what we saw. We saw the present being wrapped up in nice paper. Now, Mr Turnbull is, and his faction, and remember the Liberal Party is a faction written like any other political party, his faction is quite happy to push the can publicly as far as social reform is concerned. It doesn't mean they're going to introduce legislation to bring about social reform, but they're quite happy to talk about it. They're quite happy to talk about marriage equality. They're quite happy to put climate change on the political and social agenda. They're quite happy to talk about these things. But when it comes to economic reform, and that is a fundamental issue as far as this country is concerned, no discussion, no change. Because there is one last taboo in this country. One last taboo. And that's not sex in the elderly, as the Fairfax media thinks, or any other social issue. That last taboo, as far as this public discussion is concerned, concerns the C word. That's right, the C word, capitalism. Not one of the major media outlets, whether it's the corporate-owned media or the government-gelded ABC, are interested, interested in discussing the limitations of corporate capitalism. And that's the beauty about changing the leadership in the Liberal Party. You can actually put back that discussion about the corporate world's contribution to life in this country, how they're sucking the country dry. You can put back that discussion. You don't have to discuss it at all. We now have laws that have been put in place which allow large corporations to actually keep the percentage of taxation they pay a secret. And if you leak it out, you'll be charged. I mean, you'll no longer hear that Murdoch received an $886 million tax refund when Joe Hockey first became treasurer in 2013 while his company was making hundreds of millions of dollars of profit. That's News Corporation which have been deposited overseas. You won't hear about his other arm, 21st Century Fox in Australia, paying 0.75% tax. You won't hear about the Dexas Property Group paying 5% tax, the biggest property investor in this country with over $19 billion of office space in the CBDs around this country. You won't hear about IKEA paying 3% tax, and the list goes on and on, because it's now illegal. They don't have to declare it. So it'll be impossible for people to find out. And this is the this is the this is the rub. As I said last week and the week before and the week before, there are twenty percent, around twenty percent of Australians who are doing very well. Very well. All those Australians who have the disposable income to invest, whether it's the stock market, whether it's property speculation whether it's rental property. There are laws in place which make it almost a lay-down mosaic that you will make a profit. Whether it's negative gearing laws which allow people who own more than one property 
to claim any losses on that property as a tax deduction, whether it's people who borrow money to invest in the stock market who can offset their losses, again, as far as their taxes are concerned, the list goes on and on. Or all those corporate-friendly regulations which ensure that large corporations pay voluntary taxation in this country. You know, it continues. No question when it comes to capitalism, when it comes to people investing disposable income in exploiting other people's labour, there is no question, no debate. It's all about profits for profit's sake. It's all about growth for growth's sake. No debate, no discussion. Nobody wants to raise the C word either in the media or polite conversation. And that was highlighted when the Labor Party attempted to raise issues regarding the Prime Minister's arrangements as far as his $200 million are concerned. Now, you know, every major media outlet, including the government guild at ABC, the Fairfax media and the, uh, the Murdoch media, were beside themselves beside themselves, frothing at the mouth that people dared to ask the Prime Minister about where his wealth was invested and whether he was paying normal taxation on that wealth. It's as if it was a dirty word. It was was as if it was a mortal sin. And that's the problem, isn't it? We can never ask these questions in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC because these people are protected. And they're protected by the laws of this country which are passed day in and day out by political parties and politicians whose major responsibility is the people who back them financially, not the people they represent in Parliament. And we've got the ludicrous situation where parliamentary power has now been usurped by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and that 20% hanger honours who've got disposable income to invest. But no questions of whether it's any good for the rest of the country. How about the 33% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive? How about the other, you know, 40% plus wage earners who take home less than $100,000 a year, less than $100,000 a year, who are having increasing problems meeting financial obligations as far as keeping a roof over their head and educating their children. Where's the discussion about that? Fine, we have the whole planet, the whole continent, saturated with nonsense discussion about nothing in particular, like a bloody marble table worth 600 bucks, you know, being broken in Parliament, then where's the discussion about how capitalism serves this country? How those who have wealth usurp parliamentary power? Where's the discussion? And it's not there. You know why it's not there? Because the other 80% of this popu- of the people in this country 
are asleep at the wheel. We have believed, well I haven't, but many people believe the propaganda that if the rich get richer, the poorer get richer. We have believed in the trickle-down effect of economies. While we've seen government intervention as far as public health, public education, public infrastructure, public interest, public art, and it goes on and on, has shrunk as the private sector, the corporate-owned private sector, muscles in on profitable public assets and uh, picks them up for a song. I'll give you a simple example. And again, this just affects us. I'll give you an example. Medibank Private, which was privatised by the Abbott Hockey, you know, Axis of Evil, right, privatised last year. Now, there are 40% of Australians who are able to take out private health insurance because there is legislation that if you earn so much, if you don't take out private health insurance, you will be, you know, be double taxed. So it's forcing people to take out private health insurance. But 40% of that fee is actually subsidised by the taxpayer. So about $5 billion every year is removed from the public health sector, goes to the private health sector. And we're told we do this in order to reduce pressure on the public hospital system. You know, it sounds all right, doesn't it? Now, when Medibank Private was in government hands, the way the company was structured was that it would pay most of the costs of people with chronic illnesses when they went to a private hospital. And obviously that did remove pressure on the public health system. But today, that Medibank Private has now been privatised and is called Medibank, changes have been introduced to insurance policies to ensure that those people who have, the, who have major health issues are pushed back into the, into the public sector because they cost the private company money. And they don't want those type of people taking out private health insurance. And although they can't force them out, they can change legislation, they can change their rules without asking anybody because it's a private company, so that when elderly people who've got private insurance, who've got multiple health issues, go to hospital, it costs them thousands of dollars in extra costs, which they didn't have to pay in the past. And what that does because a lot of elderly people take out private health insurance if they can, what that does is push this sector, high-need sector, back into an underfunded, understaffed public hospital system. And that's how, that's the effect that privatisation has. For example, the banking sector, which is all the rage at the minute. We know that the Westpac increased its uh, interest rates on home mortgages, not business loans. But home mortgage, not corporate loans, home mortgages by 0.2% because legislation has come into place which forces them to keep more money in reserve in order to, you know, have money there in case there's a run on the bank if there's some type of global financial crisis like in 2008. Now, in 2008, when there was the possibility of capitalism landing in a heap, 
public funds, billions of dollars of public funds and public guarantees were put in place to support the private banking sector. No questions asked. And how have these mongrels paid us, repaid the public? Well, they've maximised their profits since 2008. They've increased a bevy, a levy of fees and charges on accounts. And most importantly of all, they're now increasing interest rates because they've been forced to hold more money in reserve. So in order asking their, you know, beloved shareholders to bear some of the cost, the whole cost is pushed on consumers. And that's the way the private sector works. That's the way the private sector works. So is it about time we ask questions about capitalism and whether it is of any benefit as far as the majority of people is concerned. Obviously, some people do very well. We have billionaires and we have millionaires. And we have people with two or three homes. And we have people with large businesses. And we have people who've got millions of dollars in superannuation funds who don't pay tax. You know? All legal, of course. And we've got the Rupert Mur- Murdochs of the world getting tax refunds. Legal, of course. Only, not a billion dollars, only $156 million. No discussion, no debate, nothing. It's as if it doesn't happen. It's as if we live in a parallel universe. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If, you, uh, like a comp- if you'd like to uh, learn more about the Anarchist Institute, go to anarchistmedia.org. Look at all the links, follow the links. See what you find. You don't like anything there? Move on. Find something else. The important thing is you need to become active in order to uh, ensure that your interests are put before corporate interests. All right, let's move on. That number again, if you want to leave a message, 0439 395 489. Download material from the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Canadian elections. Now... The Canadian elections were a little bit of a surprise to people. Mr Harper, the Canadian Prime Minister for the last nine years, the darling of the neoliberal set, was swept out of office basically by a coalition of the Liberals and the New Democrats. And why were they swept out of office? Because the neoliberal garbage they've been peddling in Canada which is a country very similar to Australia. It's a country that has an indigenous population. It's a country which uh, a lot of its uh, successes revolves around mining. And it's a country which is a multicultural country which has relied on immigration in order to build it up over the last century or two. There's a lot of similarities. But that's where the similarities end. While Mr Turnbull, the urbane, urbane, sophisticated, quietly speaking, Prime Minister is quite happy, quite happy to act as the front man for a very ugly organisation which is based on neoliberalism and ugly organisations whose branches have been taken over by the Institute of Public Affairs and their ilk. Quite happy to act as front man for this despicable, you know, organisation that's you know that promotes deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation to fill the pockets of their backers. Quite happy to do that. 
Well, he's gone. And why is he gone? Because the Liberals and the New Democrats showed a little bit of nous. They showed a little bit of intelligence. They tapped in to the concerns in the community and those concerns were about the corporate sector not paying their fair share of tax, the corporate sector being welfare bludgers, the corporate sector dominating the parliamentary agenda, which happened under Harper in Canada. Very similar, just the same as in the land of milk and honey, the land down under, Ausland. You know? And guess what? They talked about, they raised the question about corporate capitalism, the C word, became part of their electoral debate. And in a country where the media ownership is not concentrated in two or three, you know, corporate-friendly arms, those ideas began to trickle through. Whether the Liberals and the New Democrats follow up on their promises is a different matter. But the important thing is they are elected into office because of those promises to put public interests before corporate interests. And that is a new dynamic political movement which to a significant degree, is sweeping the the Western world. Because for far too long, for the last 40 years, we have seen all the gains that were made during the early part of the 20th century lost. Lost. And we are now suffering those consequences. Although 20% do really well, 80% have got a problem. Escalating housing costs. We're talking about an average price of 800,000 for a home in a capital city in this country. We're talking about rents of 250 to $300 a week for a one bedroom unit or a bed sitter. Average. Average. Not making it up. We're talking about an unstable economic situation. We're talking about an increasing unemployment rate. But more importantly, not just an increasing unemployment rate, but less job security. People rely on multiple part-time jobs in order to survive. We're talking about a shrinking public health sector. Now, I know the big debate currently in Victoria is about the unnecessary deaths of infants that have occurred at one regional hospital, the Bacchus Marsh Regional Hospital. Now, obviously, there are individual issues and there are individuals involved in this. But at a broader level, what we are seeing here is being replicated across the country as less and less resources are available to keep a shrinking public hospital system afloat. And what we are seeing in Bacchus Marsh is just the tip of a national iceberg. Across the country, 
as more and more people with chronic illnesses are forced out of private insurance into the public hospital system. As rapidly expanding outer suburbs, which are created by corporations, which are not regulated by governments, continue to expand without providing the necessary infrastructure for that growing population, whether it's public parks, whether it's public schools, whether it's public hospitals, whether it's public infrastructure. Just go out to the periphery of any city in this country and you will see row and row and row and row of new houses, housing estates with no public, no social infrastructure apart from possibly a local shopping centre which is privately owned. No public schools, no public hospitals, little if any public infrastructure. It's as if government has washed its hands of the responsibility and said, go for it boys, build what you like, sell it for what you like, you don't need, you've got no social responsibility and we have no social responsibility. And it's only when shit hits the fan that people begin to ask questions. And what we love to do in that situation over and over again is pin the blame on individuals. I'm not saying there are individuals who are not responsible for what's happened at Bacchus Marsh and Melton Regional Hospital, but more importantly is why did that situation fester for so long? Why? I mean, we're supposed to have all these agencies, you know, which oversee things, which never seem to oversee things. It's the same in the public education sector. Now, you may see all these wonderful ads for private schools, wonderful private schools, providing a wonderful education for your kiddies as long as you can cough up the money for them to access that education. And then we see these wonderful statistics about how clever they are, the little kiddies are, and how well they do. Well, you know what happens after grade 10? They cull them. They cull them. If you're not up to standard as far as their education is concerned, you're pushed out into the public sector, public education sector, and they're expected to carry the can. Every year... At the end of every academic year, we have children who are not re-enrolled in the private sector because they may affect the average mark. And if you affect the average mark in a school, it means you lose your pecking order as far as attracting more money and more fee-paying students. And that's the reality. That is the reality in the land of, you know, paradise, the land of milk and honey, paradisio. That's the reality for an increasing number of Australians. And for far too long, people have been asleep at the wheel. For far too long, we have been waiting for governments to resolve those issues for us. For far too long, we've been waiting for our favourite political party to do something about it. For far too long, we've been waiting on the legal system to ensure there's a little bit of justice in this country. And guess what? 
or those a plethora of organisations which are theoretically there to protect your interests, when you try to access those organisations, you begin to understand how difficult and cumbersome the whole process is. And there's really nobody there to represent your interests if you're on Social Security benefits. If you're one of these people who earn less than $100,000 a year, which is an increasing number of the population in part-time you know, work, who are got debt up to the gills. So that's why we form public interests before corporate interests. A simple concept. A simple concept. An umbrella group, which is both involved in electoral politics and direct action. And that's what people f- forget. People f- see, oh, you're forming another political party, are you? Well, I'm not interested, you know. I don't vote. I vote informal. I'm sick of party politics. This is not about party politics. Public interest before corporate interest is being organised as a group that uses parliamentary politics and direct action to raise the issue of the public interest. And the fascinating thing we have noticed over the last few months, uh, the organisation was floated in April, the fascinating thing we have noticed is how few people understand what a public interest is. Public health care. Ensuring that all Australians have access to health care irrespective of their wealth. That is a public interest. Public education. Ensuring that all Australian children get the best education possible irrespective of their parents' economic situation. That is a public good. Public housing ensuring that people who cannot access accommodation in the private or have difficulty accessing accommodation in the private rental market or private housing have access to decent public housing for a reasonable cost. That is the public good. Having the ability for people, public intellectuals, to actually speak up from universities and institutes around this country without fear of losing their jobs or losing tenure because they've spoken up to raise concerns about how the private sector has strangled the public sector and has destroyed the ability of so many Australians to access the basic necessities of life. That's what public interest before corporate interest is about. And those people who think it's just another political party need to read the constitutional arrangements of that particular group. They need to understand that change comes from a combination of factors. It doesn't come from standing on the sidelines and saying, not good enough. Now, public interest before corporate interest is now moving rapidly. It's forming branches around the country. If you want to join, you want to have a look what they're all about, 
now's the time to look at it. Go to the website, pipsy.net, pipsy.net. Very simple, P-I-B-C-I. Go to their Facebook page. Just put public interest before corporate interest and, hey, presto, it's up there. Go to the activities they're involved in, just a few activities if you live in Victoria, and obviously you can organise the same things in your part of Australia. It's just a matter of joining, forming a branch and getting to it. You know, we don't ask. it's an inclusive group. It's inclusive of all Australians, all residents, non-residents, whether you're on the electoral roll or not on the electoral roll. It's inclusive, irrespective of your religious persuasions or no religious affiliations, irrespective of your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, whether you're tall or short, blue-eyed or got black eyes. It doesn't really matter. It's an inclusive group that is there to ensure the interests of the community as a whole is put before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders irrespective of the human, social, environmental or national costs. And that's the key. So you want further information? You're not on the net? Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. We'll send you out an application form, or two, or three, or four. Can't write? Leave a message on 0439 395 489. But the important thing is, don't sit on the sideline. Don't be one of those 80% of Australians who complains constantly, but refuses to do anything. Don't be part of the, you know, tear up your membership card to the Gunner tribe, tear up your membership card to the somebody should be should do something about that tribe and get a, a new membership card from public interest before corporate interest. Now in Melbourne, public interest before corporate interest has a little direct action ga- gathering outside Centrelink and the member for Frankston, the federal member for Frankston's office, 10am to midday every Thursday. In Hastings... They meet every Saturday morning outside the National Australia Bank for two hours, 10am to 12 o'clock. The Frankston branch of public interest before corporate interest has changed its meeting site. It'll be meeting next Tuesday, but it'll be meeting at the Mahogany Street Community Centre in North Frankston. It no longer meets in the library, but at the Mahogany Street Community Centre in North Frankston. The Pibsey Melbourne North branch... Meet every two weeks. Have a look at the website, pipsy.net. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Sad, isn't it? You know, we we love to think of ourselves as urbane people like our Prime Minister, sophisticated, caring people, don't we? We seem to have forgotten how refugees are treated in this country. Seem to have forgotten about Nauru and Manus Island. Seem to have forgotten on those people on temporary visas in this country. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Now, every day, every day you will see pictures of refugees streaming into Europe and people trying to come to this country, not via boats, but via planes and where do they come from 
Where do they come from? Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria. Obviously there are economic migrants who come from other areas, but that's where the bulk of the refugees are coming from, 90% of them. Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria. And what's happening in those places? Well, there's wars. And why are there wars? Well, in the majority of cases, because of our intervention in the past, in one way or another. And in Australia, we have people in refugee camps who are bona fide, I love to use that word, bona fide, government-stamped refugees. who will never be allowed in this country. We are told that other countries are going to pick them up, like Cambodia. $40 million, six people later. Just goes on and on. We hear the most extraordinary stories of the most extraordinary hardship. It's under our watch. It's us. We. Us. It's our responsibility. We've done it. We allow it to occur. Because we do not, as a community, want to pick up the tab for the damage our intervention has caused in these parts of the world. That's the reality. Extraordinary, isn't it? But we're caring, aren't we? We're such caring, kind, pleasant, polite people who like to look after our own, don't we? And we're told, well, we can't look after refugees because we've got to look after our own. But do we look after our own? Obviously not. 2.5 million Australians, 10% of the population, living in dire poverty. Over three quarters of a million children who are going hungry in many cases. People up to their neck in debt. Three trade agreements which give away our sovereign right, our sovereign economic rights for, you know, for 30 pieces of silver. And we're told this is the land of milk and honey. This is an egalitarian community. Well, for the last 40 years, the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation brigade has been doing everything possible, both legally and illegally, to unwind every social, political innovation which has improved the lives of working people and people on Social Security benefits in this country. And for far too long we've accepted it. That is the status quo. That's the way it is. It's never going to change. We rah, rah, rah for our sporting team, whether it's football, rugby union, volleyball, netball, baseball, basketball, you know, AFL. As long as the ball involved, we're happy. Well, isn't there a little bit more to life than actually being a perennial consumer? whether you consume sport, whether you consume goods. 
Isn't there more a bit to life than actually sitting in your, you know, religious whatever denomination and praying to whatever God you believe in? Aren't we part of a bigger circle? Aren't we part of this so-called circle of life? Aren't we all on the same boat? Well, we are all on the same boat. But as I keep saying, there are some people on the upper deck enjoying the sun, swimming in the pool, eating the grapes, enjoying themselves. And then there's that 80 to 85% down below rowing the boat, rowing the boat, rowing the boat. And when I hear people say, well, it's the politics of envy. People are asking questions about Mr. Turnbull's wealth. Not on. The man worked hard for his money. And I thought, worked hard? How can through one individual's effort, personal effort, using their hands and their brains, can you acquire that money? It's acquired by manipulating money to make you more money. And then I know people who do work hard, who sweat, who work two jobs or three jobs, part-time, poorly paid work, some cash in hand, poorly paid, who work so hard that when they go home they're too tired to even look after their children. But what do they get? In the land of milk and honey, more debt, more poverty, more anxiety, more problems. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's not the politics of envy. It's the politics of greed. And when, you know, I'm not envious of Mr Turnbull and his wealth. I couldn't give a shit. But what I am unhappy about is how these billionaires who are touted in the mass media and the government gelded at ABC as heroes every time they drop a few dollars to the peasants below in some philanthropic exercise... How do they get their money? Who do they exploit? Who do they crush? Where are they investing it now? What type of industries are they investing in? How much social damage is that causing or personal damage? Are they paying their taxes? What loopholes are they using to ensure they don't actually contribute to this country, thinking that, that if they you know, employ people, and their employees pay taxes, that's their only responsibility to the community, and then using their power to usurp Parliament's power so no legislation ever comes into Parliament that has any significant effect on their lives, on their bottom line. That's the reality of 21st century Australia, if you don't believe me. Think again. Think again. You can be anything you want to be. Bullshit. You can get ahead by working hard in this country. Bullshit. It's all about where it begins. I mean, we did have a social elevator in the 60s and 70s because the ruling classes needed bright people in order to staffed the machine as it got more and more complex and sophisticated. But now... With artificial intelligence, we don't need those people anymore. They can go back to where they came from, back to their grotty little lives, and their children 
we don't care about them. You know, as long as they don't cause any ruckus and they watch TV, surf the net, fight amongst each other, call each other names, we don't care about them. As long as they don't make a ruckus, they need to die quietly. That's 21st century Australia. And every time I meet some tourist who tells me we live in paradise, I say, well, some people live in paradise, but as you know, there's heaven and hell in any situation, and some people live in hell. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week. Yes, I'm not negative. If I was negative, I wouldn't be here. We're positive. I have the belief, and it's only a belief at this stage, that 80% of Australians can make a difference, and they will make a difference. What we need to do is break through that wet newspaper break through all those, you know, wet internet sites, break through them so we have a a handle on reality. So thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week. Further information, anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net, Q7461, Murdoch's Minions, Wednesday Action Group, the list goes on and on, lots of things. Don't forget the 1st of December. Don't forget the third of uh, sorry the first of November. Don't forget the third of December. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to three crorgau You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.net or info at pipsy.net. You can write to us at Post Office Box twenty, Parkville three oh five two. You can leave pleasant messages on 0439-395-489. It's not enough to know. What you need to do is take that next step. Because if you look at all significant social political movements in the history of the universe on planet Earth, just planet Earth's universe, you will notice it's those people who take that first step to resolve issues who succeed. And it's up to us to take that first step. So thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast on the Community Radio Network, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access it by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com or email us at info at pipsy.net. And uh, listen in next week on your local community radio station. If it's the first time you listen to The Anarchist World this week, have a look at the website, have a look at the links, have a look, see what you're doing, make up your mind. Do you want to be a spectator all your life? Look at the spectacle, you know, look at the uh, Australia Borealis, look at it all around you, or do you want to make a difference? And if you want to make a difference, it's time that you looked at that. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast by the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.